Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. My name is Helen Grace James. I was born in 1927 in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I was raised on a dairy farm. Uh, I was a very busy kid. I worked on the farm. I loved the animals. I, I was depended upon to do certain chores. When I was old enough, I was milking cows. I was driving the tractor. I was helping with the harvests. When she was old enough to drive, she delivered orders from her father's butcher shop every Saturday. It was a military family. Her great-great-grandfather was a Union soldier. Her father was in World War I. Her uncles in World War II. Her cousins were in the Army and Navy. So I, I, liked, I liked the military because I would talk to them, and it just seemed like a, a wonderful place to be, to be helping our country, as I thought of it. They were there to help fight the wars or, you know, be engaged in, in uh, taking care of us as, as civilians. She wanted to enlist, but she was too young. So she went to college and got a degree in physical education. She moved to Florida, where family friends helped her get a job as a teacher. But I always had a yearning. I, I taught there for three years and then decided to enlist. My parents, I don't know if they expected it or they, they, they were, you know, they were supportive. What year was this? I, en I enlisted in 52. In she was assigned to basic training in Texas and flew from Philadelphia to San Antonio. It was her first time on an airplane. You get your clothing, you get your shots, you get... You know, and you're assigned to a flight with airmen that are, are coming in at the same time. And what was your job in the Air Force? I was a radio operator. So I learned code. I learned to type code. I learned to take and type code and send and receive. Was it fun? Were you happy to be uh, you continuing this family tradition? Well, I don't know. I loved it. I, I met P. I'm, you know... I, I grew up on a farm. I graduated in a, a class of 17. You know, it was, it was farm country. It was, um, I hadn't met a lot of people from, from other areas. I, I enjoyed what I did. I, I loved the Air Force. It was fun, it was exciting, and it was teaching me a job that I thought was, was really important. She was responsible for contacting military bases up and down the East Coast every hour, on the hour. They kept a close eye on each plane to see whether anyone deviated from a scheduled flight path. She was assigned to a permanent station, Roslyn Air Force Base on Long Island. We were part of the 26th Air Division 
Defense Command. And we had uh, constant communication with other bases along the coast, Mitchell and and uh, Andrews. We had being, you know, alerting anything that might be untoward. It was Cold War. We were kind of on alert all the time. Helen spent her days watching and listening during a period of intense suspicion and paranoia in America. She had no idea that she herself was being watched. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. We heard through other airmen from other from other bases that there was an investigation going on. And that was that was kind of a rumor. And you know, come to find out, they were already investigating us, which they had been doing for a while, which uh, of course we didn't know. Investigating you for what? For where we went, we were being followed, we were being uh, watched. I had a car, so at one point, one of my friends and I went to, went to get a sandwich at a, at a little restaurant. And it was a place that it was really busy, and so we decided to take our sandwiches and, and go find a place to talk. One of us had just gotten off duty, I think, and, and uh, so we were hungry. And we parked and started to eat our sandwiches, and, and up behind us came uh, an air policeman with the lights on and wanted to know what we were doing. And that that was... That was very eerie. That was very frightening. That was, un, you know, it's like, why are you asking me that? And why were you following me? And, you know, it, it, it came about really quickly. We, sometimes we would go, <clears throat> we would go down to the village and um, we could, we could, uh, we could play music on a jukebox and dance, and they, these were places that were uh, just for women. And uh, so th- there was a jukebox you could dance, and and there were guards out. There was a guard outside so that it it kept it safe, and it that uh, they didn't allow they didn't allow males in there. So. The OSI, the Office of Special Investigation, apparently had uh, gotten permission somehow one night when we were there. And they were sitting in a, in a booth and they began to harass me and others. And... Uh, what were they saying? Asking me what I was doing there. And, and uh, you know, I, w- I was not very comfortable with them and so I I just turned away but they wanted to know why I was there and what I was doing and, and how come I was in this place and and so they stayed seated and I I just knew that they didn't belong in there and so it was eerie it was frightening it was we I knew that they were they had they were in there because we were there. 
Were they, they were investigating you because, uh, because you were gay? Yeah. We were considered to be um, a threat to the security of the nation. How? Because we could be compromised and in, in, uh, at in those days it uh, it apparently wasn't it wasn't okay to be gay or lesbian. It was frowned upon and and you could be outed and compromised by the enemy, so to speak. Uh, and tell any secrets that we had or, you know, we were, we were just considered to be a threat to national security. So they wanted us gone. They had bugged our room or they had someone in the room next to us and they could hear, they, you know, they had had the room bugged somehow. Um, when we would get in late at night, there were there were airmen that were assigned apparently to to watch us when we came in and to you know if we stopped at the latrine they would you know it might be two o'clock in the morning and and we were washing our hands and they an airman would come in which would is usually unlikely because it's two o'clock in the morning so it became very unnerving you know, to be followed and to be watched. Did you start to suspect that everyone was watching you? <laughs> yes. You can imagine. It's, it's just a place that you worked and did your work, and, and people were watching you. People, were, people that didn't seem to uh, notice you before were, were watching you. Once you realized you were being watched, did you change your behavior, stay away from people? I changed the way I felt. I wasn't sleeping very well. I was probably drinking so I could sleep. It, you know, it, it wears on you. It, you. You don't know who's watching you, but it might be anybody. And uh, we were scared all the time and uh, and then finally we were there were three of us that were arrested they started to to grill us about what our thoughts were uh, suspecting us of doing things I guess that we I don't know I don't know it was it was constant. It was um, hours and hours. If uh, at one point I needed to go to the latrine, and of course the officer went with me, I was, and I, I think I threw up. I did. I didn't feel good. We had been. I had been there for. I don't know how many hours, and finally. The threats began. The, uh, the gentleman that, that was questioning us began to threaten to go to my parents, to go to my friends, to go to uh, people that I knew to tell them that I was 
a threat to the nation and a bad person, apparently. And and I finally said, you know, just write down whatever you want to write down and I'll sign it. And that's what they did, what he did. He wrote it down. I signed it. I didn't read what he said. What were the charges? I don't know what was on that paper. I never looked at it. But I, you know, it was because I was a lesbian. This was happening all over the country. Men and women who worked for the government were interrogated about their sex lives and fired. It was called the Lavender Scare. It coincided with the Red Scare, which gave rise to the House Un-American Activities Committee and Senator Joseph McCarthy's hearings to try to expose communists. Thousands and thousands of people were fired during the Lavender Scare under an executive order signed by President Eisenhower. That order remained in place until 1995, when President Clinton implemented Don't Ask, Don't Tell. When they first came into the barracks that day, did you have any idea what was going on? No. I mean, I assume you'd never been arrested or questioned before. That's right. When they were asking you these questions, what what kinds of questions were they asking you? Were they asking you about your whereabouts or, or movements or relations with other women? Um, one of the things that they did was they involved, you know, how did I feel about my sister? How did I feel about my mother? I mean, it just... And that's why I threw up. I think I just got so upset with it that I decided, I, you know, just write something down. I'll, I'll sign it. So when they asked you about, you know, dating women, did you kind of say, e- e- yes, what's wrong with that? I probably did, you know. I, I can't recall all the things that I said. I, I just was feeling so put upon. You know, the very idea that they would consider my sister or anyone's schoolmate or, you know, that was, they wanted to know things that I (laughs) didn't know. I didn't know how to answer and I didn't have, I didn't have answers for and I, and they were just uncomfortable and they got more uncomfortable and uh, and then they began to threaten threaten me with exposure to my family to my friends you know in those days and you're probably quite young in those days it it was not was not talked about that I remember I didn't know about gay or lesbian I don't think I ever heard the term when I was in high school. And uh, <clears throat> feelings that I had, I enjoyed being, I because I was on a farm maybe, I grew up doing all the things that, that the girls and boys did the farm work. So I loved being with, with boys and, and men because they talked about things that I that I liked and enjoyed. You know, I drove tractor, I drove horses, I I did I helped build 
things with my dad, and um, and I enjoyed that. What did you do right after you signed the papers? What happened next? I had to clear the base. It was about two weeks that you had to clear the base, and and I also had I had applied for a commission actually. And the commission came through during the time that I was being discharged. So I actually had two discharges, one as an airman and one as a second lieutenant. I just stayed low. Did other people... You had to stay on the base for two weeks. Did other people on the base know what had happened? Everybody on the base knew. Everybody on the, on the station knew. I just did what I had to do and, and uh, waited to get out. But, you know, had no money, no, no support at all. I couldn't tell my family. I couldn't tell my friends. I, I couldn't tell my former classmates. Uh, I, I had hoped to make a career of the Air Force. I loved it. I, I really loved the Air Force. I loved serving. I loved the work that I did until, until this came about. So your parents never really, they just Never thought. talked to them. Never. And I left the East Coast immediately after. Get away from it all. Yeah. I didn't know anybody. That was good. Started a new life. She got a job working as a physical therapist in California. Her practice grew. She made new friends. And she tried to forget what happened to her in 1955. Who had you talked to about your discharge? Nobody. It was, it was disgraceful. It was a stain on my my family that was involved in this, you know. Uh, especially a military family. All the other people in my family had served honorably. I felt I had to, to keep it under seal. I just stuffed it. Decades passed this way. And then in 2016, she met a fellow veteran, a medic. I'm not sure how it came up, but I, I felt okay with saying, yeah, I got a bad discharge. And she, and I, she said, do something about that. Well, I didn't know that I could do anything about it until, she, you know, she talked to me. And so we went down, and that's when we got it started. We went down and... and uh, started the complaint, and uh, I told my story. I, I told what had happened to me, and I wrote, I wrote it all out. That's the first time I had ever written it all out. How old were you? How old was I then? I was, uh, yes, I guess I was uh, 89. We'll be right back. 
Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Support for Criminal comes from Factor. After a long day at work, sometimes the most convenient dinner option is ordering takeout. But if you make a habit of it, it can get pricey. Factor offers restaurant-quality, ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your doorstep. Factor's meals are both nutritious and tasty, and you can choose from more than 35 different options weekly. They have a variety of meal types to fit your needs, too, like keto, calorie-smart, vegan, and veggie, and more, with plenty of delicious add-ons also. I've tried Factor meals myself. Lately, I've enjoyed their shredded chicken taco bowl and Thai-roasted vegetable green curry. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. You can also pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Head to factormeals.com slash Phoebe50 and use code Phoebe50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box. That's code Phoebe50 at factormeals.com slash Phoebe50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. 64 years after Helen James was kicked out of the Air Force, she applied for an honorable discharge. She worked with the Fresno County VA, and they helped her get in touch with a legal aid attorney to start the process. The Air Force didn't, you know, they, they waited. It was, they, they said they had 18 months before they had to, you know, get back to us. So we waited 18 months. And uh, one of the things that had happened in the meanwhile was that I needed to get a hold of my personnel file so that I could show that I didn't do anything wrong, that I was a good I was a good airman, you know, I did my duty. But apparently those records had been burned in a fire. From there, it was hiccup after hiccup, preventing Helen's complaint from being handled. And so her legal aid attorney teamed up with a DC law firm and they filed a lawsuit. They told the Air Force they had fourteen days to respond. And that went in on the 2nd of January, 2018. And on January 11th, 2018, my story came out in the Washington Post. In the Washington Post, that wonderful paper. Uh, I guess that's when the Air Force decided that it was time to address it. And they approved my discharge as a, uh, an honorable discharge. What was it like having your story be so public after it being private? I don't know if I can explain it, you know, because it's a constant thing. It's in my, it's in my head now. Uh, and people know about it. And, you know, I never told my folks about it, but, but they know now. And uh, I've, you know, I've 
I've been back east and talked to my family, and they've read my incident report, and they they know me now as you know that and my cousins and and uh, my classmates from college and uh, my godson and you know, yeah, I I put it out there for them. Do you ever go to events for veterans? I, of course, I didn't used to, but yeah, I do. It's a community. It's uh, it's family with the veterans. You know, you know that they know who you are, where you've been, what you're doing, regardless of of what er- what branch you were in. Uh, yeah, it's uh. It's an amazing community to be a part of. I'm honored by it. In 2018, at 91 years old, she marched in the Fresno, California Pride Parade. Oh, gosh. Oh, God, that was really fun. I was the Grand Marshal in the parade. It was just surreal to know that there are so many people out there that are with me, that care about me and and care about each other. Well, I want to thank you so much for speaking to me for all this time today. We took a lot of your time. Oh, Phoebe, thank you so much. You've been uh, just so nice, and, and you just take care of yourself. You too will speak soon. Okay, thanks, baby. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We spoke with Helen James five years ago. Today, she's 96. And when we called to check in, she said she was doing well. She's donated her personal photographs to the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum, When we asked what that was like, she said, it's just surreal. Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, and Megan Kinane. Our technical director is Rob Byers. Engineering by Russ Henry. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show. And we're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash criminalpodcast. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal.